I invite you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Isaiah. Isaiah 52 and 53 we'll be looking at uh, this week as we continue our series, tuning our souls to the servant songs of the Lord in the book of Isaiah. And we're uh, turning to the final section that we are looking at among the four uh, servant songs uh, of the Lord found in Isaiah. It's uh, easily the most uh, familiar of those uh, sections, and for good reason. It's packed with powerful truth. It's crystal clear, written some 700 years or more before the time that Christ walked on the earth. It describes his remarkable work and sacrifice and love and victory for us. And so we're going to to look at that. Uh, All three of the sections we've looked at contain uh, amazing truth, as you see in the back of your worship guide, you know, some of the themes that we've covered about the servant of the Lord, that he's spirit-filled, that he's just, that he's empowered, savior, prophet, that he was rejected and also chosen, that he's obedient, that he was attentive, that he was enduring. And then in this last section, we're going to talk about three uh, key aspects that are just in bold-faced font, if you will, in Isaiah 52 and 53. Uh, That is that he's the atoning one, that he's the suffering one, and that he's the victorious one. And so we uh, turn today to Isaiah 53, really, and for sake of time, uh, we will cover the other sections of this uh, section of Scripture, which starts in 52, verse 13, over the next uh, couple of weeks. But for sake of time today, uh, we'll, we'll, I'll read to us uh, verse, the beginning verse, verse 13 says, Behold my servants. So just so you know, this is talking about the servant of the Lord. And then if you look with me, at verse 4 of chapter 53, it says this, describing our Savior. I invite you to take these words in, receive them afresh in your heart today as we consider especially the atoning work that Jesus has accomplished for you and for me. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then jumping down to verse 10 and 12, and of course the other themes of victory and of suffering are woven in with all of these as well. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Let's pray together. 
Oh God, if we had just those verses, how rich we would be in your word speaking to us, beautiful, refreshing, transformative, saving, redeeming, rescuing words. So we thank you today that we have these verses and so many more, and we pray that you would teach us through your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, our former uh, staff member, Garrett Greer, and I used to have a little routine we would go through with each other when we would greet each other. I think he started it, to be honest. He would uh, refer to me by as many of my titles as he could come up with when he would greet me. So he'd say, hey, Reverend, Pastor, Doctor, Professor, Elder, Pastor, Doctor, Teacher, Peters. That would be his little introduction to me. And I would respond to him, you know, in kind with a little nod to Dwight Schrute of the office show. I said, it's good to see you, assistant to the regional pastor or assistant to the pastor of the region. And we played a little game over the years with that. Obviously, uh, people like me uh, sometimes like to pile up our titles to overcome our obvious limitations. It's interesting to think about all the titles that we can give to the Lord, the Lord Jesus in particular, And the fact that it's impossible to give him enough titles to befit the glory, the power, the wonder, the beauty of who he actually is, right? I use my titles to (laughs) cover up my limitations and, and he can't hardly have enough titles. It's a little bit like, uh, the, the titles of Jesus and the ways we can think about him like those Russian uh, stacking Patrishka dolls, you know. It's like you open up the, the outer one and there's another one inside and then you take that one out and you open it up and there's another smaller one inside and you open it up and it just keeps going on and on. There's more to be said at all times. And this is the, the main idea, I guess, that I'd like for us to think about today is certainly this core idea of Jesus' atoning work but I, I want us to pan that out and look at even just under this one thing that he does, atoning for us, there's multiple titles and descriptions of how he accomplishes it. So since the servant of the Lord satisfies God's holy and loving character, we, you and me, can delight today in our atonement, which comes through him alone. Now, it's interesting if you think about some of the titles that we find for the Lord, and I'll, I'll dive into them in a little more depth in just a few minutes. We think about his atoning work, that he's a, a reconciler. A bunch of them come up even in these verses we just read in, in Isaiah. And then other passages highlight them even for, further, that he's a reconciler, that he's a propitiation. That's a big word for payment. He makes a payment, that he's an advocate. That he's an intercessor. Hang with me. I'm going to go a different direction with this one than you think. He's inclusive. He's an inclusive one. That he's the justifier. Just a few titles that we can 
pull out of his reality of his atoning work today. So I want to start by talking about why we need to hear this in general and then look at the verses in Isaiah for a moment as we understand what atonement means in general. And then I'm going to unpack some of those titles for us today in a way that I hope will really encourage our relationship with the Lord. It'll be refreshing to us and also hopefully propels a life of fuller love to God that translates into seeking to serve and glorify Him in very specific ways in obedience in our our lives. So as we think about what this passage says to us, uh, it's a tragic reality, but it's true. One of the reasons we need to hear this section of Scripture and hear about atonement is is it can become kind of ho-hum in the life of a believer. It's, It's it's hard to believe that, but it's true of my heart. Uh, it's it's kind of like uh, the spiritual version of the American citizen who today can easily take for granted the fact that we live in the freest society probably that's ever existed. We have some of the greatest prosperity that you could ever hope to enjoy, really the greatest opportunity that someone could possibly want and have, and, and we become a little ho-hum, Right? about our national citizenship, about that identity. And we can become pretty ho-hum, too, about what Christ has done for us. And forget the beauty and the power and the transforming work of it. So that's just a general thing. We're forgetful. We've got a spiritual amnesia, spiritual Alzheimer's, if you will. And we, we forget the beauty of things that the Lord says to us. I think it's also important to remember this particular section of scripture and this teaching of atonement because we live in a society certainly where you can walk into many churches typically traditionally that's been sort of a mainline uh, church mindset where you'll hear a lot of good thoughts for decent living from the pulpit but maybe don't hear much at all about the fact that God is just and righteous and we deserve condemnation but Jesus has paid the price and he's shown us his tremendous love for us in that, And increasingly across many churches, if their focus is primarily on drawing more people in, filling the pews more, it's harder to say the tough things that need to be said, like atonement, that we need an atoning one, and to speak about a Savior that really has to die for you and me. That's, it's humbling. It's, um, it brings us low before it lifts us up. And we don't really want to hear that. And so we, we need to be reminded of this lest we move in that direction ourselves without realizing it. Beyond that, we need to hear it because it is, in fact, the distinctive reality of Christian truth. And Christianity proclaims, I'm going to talk about inclusion in a minute, we proclaim a exclusion as well that this is true that there is this path through Christ alone that salvation comes and we don't do that in with an eye towards looking down our nose at other religious viewpoints or perspectives or other worldviews we look at it we say say it as beggars trying to tell other beggars where to find bread because Christ alone is the one who has come down every other world belief system demands that you and I somehow perform morally up to some standard and the result is that 
The religious standard is either lowered down to our limited human moral capacity or we pretend and elevate ourselves in some perceived idea of our moral uh, accomplishment in order to achieve it. But Christianity says something radically contrary to that. So young people, especially, if you want to understand the distinction, and we should share this with our friends and classmates with love and grace, not with a heart to confront and to win an argument, but with love and grace to explain those that are from a Hindu background or Muslim background or whatever tradition that this is why we believe in Christ, because he's done something that nobody else has for us. He's come into the world to pay the price that we deserve. And on top of that, in our own time, there's probably a little bit more subtle working of that self-righteousness, that self-righteous elevation that comes with the virtue signaling, right, that we've all probably been guilty of, especially online, social media, but even in our conversations where we like to present ourselves as better than somebody else. And that's just our remedy if we're not resting in the work of Christ to lift us up in his atoning work, then we've got to find some other people out there to put down so that we feel like we're good and we're righteous instead of admitting our guilt. Well, Isaiah 53 sure doesn't let us do that. Doesn't let us do any of that. If you take a look with me there, I just read it. I don't know, how, don't know that much needs to be said. It's a sledgehammer of the atoning work of Christ. Surely he has borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. He's wounded for our transgressions. He's crushed for our iniquities. This is about uh, what the theologians call penal substitutionary work of Christ. It means that he's paying the price, the penalty for us, and it's substitutionary. The way I like to think about it is that Jesus pays for me pound for pound. 172 pounds, six foot of Chris Peters. Jesus pays every pound of that, pound for pound. He's a substitute for me. We all like sheep have gone astray. Everyone has turned to his own way, right? Echoes our New Testament passage. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then verses 10 through 12 that we probably don't read as much, even if we read these verses before, it reminds us this is all purposeful. It's not an accident in a time in history that this happened. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. This was, this, this was, this is the means for God to restore you and me to fellowship with him. And then it tells us out of the anguish of his soul, verse 11, he shall be satisfied. And then even the last couple of verses drive home the point. He was poured out, his soul was poured out to death and numbered with the transgressors. He became numbered, he took on sin for us so that he could make intercession for you and for me, so if, if you've forgotten, if you need a reminder this week, like I often do, if you're in that ho-hum mode about the gospel, oh, please, let's have a, all of us a fresh vision today of this God who maintains his perfect holiness, righteousness, and justice. He doesn't lower the standard at all of what it means to walk in godliness. And the way that he does that, he upholds that, and is incredibly loving and merciful to reach down and save sinners. How do those two things hold together? In Christ, that is accomplished through his atonement. That is the thing that brings it about. 
because it is the bearing of a punishment for another. That is this atoning work that we describe. So if you're looking for kind of a definition, uh, especially biblically, it's that substitutionary atoning work. Payment for another is made. Well, I want to unpack all of this a bit. So if you'll bear with me, we're going to take some of those Russian stacking dolls out uh, one by one and use some other passages of Scripture to do so. We think about the atoning work of, of God, a couple of sections we can look at, and I invite you to turn to each of these with me. 2 Corinthians in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians, that's after Acts and Romans, but before you get to Hebrews. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 speaks uh, about the reconciling work that is accomplished through Christ, how his atonement reconciles us. And it assumes that we don't just sort of automatically in life have a good relationship with God. And even if you say, I want to seek God, you can't know God without somebody to bridge that gap and to remedy the fact that we have lived in independence and self-sufficiency in offense to God that we've sinned in specific ways and we've also sinned in just our attitude of living life without God. So if you start uh, with me in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him, that's Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The same thing that Isaiah passage was speaking about hundreds of years, written hundreds of years earlier before this passage. But what a beautiful reminder today that through Christ being sin, we might become the righteousness of God, which we're not. We're not in fact. We are in the crediting work that God does to us. He sees us as righteous in his, in his sight. The theologians call this double imputation, right? So it is this exchange. It's a beautiful deal, right? You sometimes go in and you have financial deals that you're trying to make right now. With inflation, it's probably interesting to try to, you know, make deals and buy things and get a new vehicle if you have to or whatever. Well, this is an awesome deal. Jesus not only says that he will take on him all the junk and all the unrighteousness of Chris Peter's, but he is going to take all the righteousness and goodness that he has and he's going to credit it back on to me. What a deal. Right? And so if you're today and you're ho-hum about that deal, how can you possibly be ho-hum about that deal? How can it not be transformative to your life and mine? He's the reconcile, reconciler. Now I'm going to use a big word. He's a propitiation. Why do we use that word? Well, why don't you just say payment? Well, it's a little more than payment. It is a payment, but it's a payment of a particular sort. It's a spiritual payment for a spiritual debt, a propitiation. 
And 1 Peter is a good passage for us to look at in this regard, further back towards the end of uh, the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 2, let's look at verse 21. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, says this, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. It's interesting, this is a passage that's talking about how we make our way through suffering, especially suffering that others have put into our life. Okay, so that's the context. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in, the, in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. By his wounds you have been healed. What an amazing picture. And what a reminder, too, that's laced into that passage that if we understand this grace, it has to be transformative, right? It's Reformation Sunday. We think about Martin Luther and justification uh, by grace through faith alone, rightly. But Luther also said that justifying faith should never be alone, right? Justifying faith isn't a get-out-of-jail-free. It's not fire insurance, it's not, you know, have grace, will party kind of thing. It's have grace, will follow God, will delight to walk in his ways and in his plans because of the beauty of that grace. So he's a reconciler. He is our propitiation. And then look at 1 John. We're, we're, we're going deep. We're in the depth, depth of the uh, New Testament here. I didn't think about that before we... Uh, got to this point, but here we are. First uh, John chapter two, verse one, my little children, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. Uh, my point there made exactly. He wants us to live transformed lives. But if anyone does sin, of course we do. What? We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and then Verse 2, I'm not just making words up, at least in the ESV, he is the propitiation for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Amazing what he has done for us. You know, you've probably had that experience along in your life where you had a, a coach who really cheered you on, really bought into your cause and supported you or maybe it was a teacher or a professor maybe somebody was the head of your club or maybe you had a boss somewhere along the way that really helped you uh, advance and grow in your career really gave you a boost up that you didn't deserve you had you, you had somebody at some point I hope all of us had somebody we can think of now as I'm preaching to you who was an advocate right who was behind you and behind you all the way Maybe your parents, you know, were that way for you. Jesus is that, that advocate. He advocates for you and me. Which leads us to our next point, that he's an intercessor, Hebrews chapter 7. I should have put him in order through how we go through the Bible so we don't have to jump back and forth, but live and learn. Hebrews chapter 7, 
starting in verse 22, and then we'll just have two more passages after this. I hope this journey is enriching our understanding of the atoning work that Jesus has accomplished. So verse 22 of Hebrews 7, we actually looked at this not long ago in our Hebrews series. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. No brainer, they were human beings, they died. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he was offering up himself. For the law appoints men and their weaknesses high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who's been made perfect forever. I love that. Don't you love that? That he saves us to the uttermost, right? To the furthest extension and reaches, he can do that. But we can rest today for those that are struggling with some assurance of salvation. Sometimes you might be struggling with assurance of salvation because you haven't surrendered your life and put your trust in Christ the Lord. Then you need to struggle with your assurance. But if you're in Christ, have begun walking with him in faith and repentance, believer, today, be encouraged, be assured that you have salvation, that the Lord loves you and cares for you. He's interceding for you to the uttermost throughout all time. And then two last passages, Revelation, Revelation chapter 5, verse 8 and 10. And I made you nervous earlier, some of y'all, because when we talk about inclusion in our time today, it tends to mean uh, you know, having to make room and embrace, uh, obligation to embrace or approve certain maybe, maybe sinful behaviors or lifestyles. That's not what I'm talking about here. Uh, and of course, you know, no, this verse is a, certainly a reminder. There's no room in the Christian faith for any sort of racial or ethnic superiority. We can value our background and our lineage without having a superior perspective towards others. But listen to the inclusive language when we think about all the peoples and nations around the world that are stated here in verse 8 through 10 of Revelation 5. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb and holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which the prayers, which are the prayers of the saints, they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take up the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. By your blood, this is atoning language here, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God that they may reign on earth. We know biblically that there's a sense in which atonement is particular. And it's ultimately only for those who God is going to call. But atonement is inclusive in the sense that Anybody, anywhere, no matter your background, no matter what you look like, no matter what the world says about you, can enjoy the blessings of that grace and that relationship with God. And lastly, lastly, uh, verse 
3 of Romans. Verse 3 of Romans. Sorry, chapter 3 of Romans, verse 24. Chapter 3 of Romans. This is our last one. So he's a reconciled, propitiation, advocate, intercessor, inclusive. Lastly, which almost goes without saying because it's the headliner for, for Isaiah 53. He's the justifier. But Romans 3.24 sheds some additional light on this for us. Uh, starting in, in verse 24. Well, let's start in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God. This was this passage that impacted Martin Luther in particular. And it caused him to say, I'm missing something. I'm not understanding. Our understanding of the gospel in the church has to be recovered, has to be restored. But now righteousness, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward, there it is again, as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because of his divine forbearance. He had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. I'll close with some words from one of those famous hymns that we've uh, sung. I didn't think about it ahead of time to mention it to William and the team, but maybe in uh, future weeks we can sing this one again. Uh, Isaac Watts wrote it back in 1707. When I survey the wondrous cross. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died. My richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt. That means I, I pour out hatred on my own pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, that I should celebrate, exalt, rejoice in anything save in the death of Christ my God, except for the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood, everything that we do, think, experience in life is to be brought before God for his righteous rule in all those areas. See from his head, his hands, his feet. What an amazing verse. Sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet? O'er thorns compose so rich a crown. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that means if I had everything in the world, that would be a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you for the atoning work of Christ. On the one hand, it's... Uh, it's something we all probably know here, even if we're not in church regularly in this Southern Bible Belt culture of us. We know Jesus died to pay for our sins. Father, I pray that you would take the truths of Isaiah, the truths of these other passages, and just drive them home into our lives. That those that are discouraged, brought low today, 
either by life or by our own sinfulness or uh, struggles around us that will be lifted up and encouraged with this great knowledge of this great gift and work that's been done for us, Lord. And I pray in those places where we're prideful, where we're self-sufficient, maybe where we even think we can make it on our own or go our own way, these verses would remind us of how silly and foolish that is in light of what's been done for us. And we would desire in light of that to give you our life, our love, our all for your glory and your praise. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.